Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. And first of all, Merry Christmas. And I want to apologize because this is getting posted out of order. This is week four from the meaning behind the magic, and this is from the day after Christmas. So the show will be posted and filed as December 26th. It still is a message you do not want to miss out on. It's so important to include. So again, accept my apologies for it getting posted a little bit delayed. So here is Ryan, and this week I'm including the closing song, and Ryan will send us out with the blessing. All right. Good morning. Welcome. Good to see everybody. Who's wearing something you got for Christmas? Raise your hand up nice and high. Raise your hand up nice and high. I want to see who you are. That's awesome. I got snowshoes. I thought it'd be weird to wear them out, but I don't know. Give it. I'll go get them if you want. I, no, I'm just kidding. So good to see everybody. Hey, if you're a guest, welcome. My name is Ryan, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. It's good to have you with us. I want to welcome those of you that are tuning in online and uh, those of you that might be out in the atrium as well. So it's uh, been a good week around Crossroads. We, really, it's been a good 10 days. We had Jingle Jam uh, about, I guess it was two weeks ago, and then we had our Christmas Eve uh, gatherings, our candlelight services, which were wonderful. I want to thank all the volunteers who helped make all that possible. We kind of did a stripped-down uh, experience today so that we could give everybody a moment to catch their breath. But we do have some volunteers that are here making this happen, and so I'm grateful for those of you that were able to do that. And thank you for coming out and for tuning in today as we continue in our series, The Meaning Behind the Magic of Christmas. Uh, Christmas miracle, hopefully we're all hoping for in the room, except for Rod Kaya, who's somewhere, is that the Denver Broncos win today. That's a Christmas, that would be a good Christmas miracle. We're in day two of the 12 days of Christmas. So one of the things we'd like to do around Crossroads is really emphasize this 12 days of Christmas. How many of you are a little rushed the first part of December? Anybody a little rushed, a little frantic, like you feel that weight? I think there's something really powerful about the 12 days of Christmas because we launch with this big celebration and then we can actually carry that spirit of joy with us into typically you know, 10 or 11 days that feel like you can breathe a little bit. And so we can actually think about things other than frantically shopping and wrapping and all the parties. We can actually consider the impact of Christmas on our lives, right? And uh, so that's what we're doing. We're going to do that today. Our anchor verse for this series, uh, kind of what's grounded us, is that passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 18 through 19, where the shepherds have come, and they're kneeling down, and they're checking things out. And it says that everyone who listened was astonished at what the shepherds told them. But Mary took all this in and reflected on it. And so we're talking about how do we take all these stories in and reflect on them? How do we not get caught up in the historicity of things? How do we not get into arguments about, did it really happen? Did Mary and Joseph live in Bethlehem at first and then moved to Nazareth, or were they in Nazareth and had to go to Bethlehem, depending upon who you read and where you look? Can we just put all those arguments aside and ask the question, what do they mean? What do they mean? And so today what I want to explore is this question of why December 25th? Why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, which is kind of around the winter solstice? Uh, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Um, but Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. 
Um, the secret is out, okay? Uh, so uh, you can tell your kids it's okay. Uh, we, we know Jesus was not born on December 20th. I mean, I suppose he could have been. We don't really know, but we're highly unlikely that he was born on December 25th. We don't know when Jesus, but why, why did we pick December 25th? Why is that the day? Why was yesterday and not today? Why is it yesterday and not like June 25th or April 25th? And the answer is found in the Christmas lights. Christmas lights. I love Christmas lights. How many of y'all put up Christmas lights somewhere in your life, on your tree, on your house? I go, I try to go all out. We, we bought a house and we moved here a few years ago that has a roof line that I feel comfortable uh, that I could survive a fall from. Um, <laughs> uh, so so we kinda, I try to go all out and I put those Christmas lights up early in November when it's a little warmer. Uh, when, you were, when I lived in Maine, you'd have to put them up in June to beat the snow. And uh, so it's kind of nice to have a couple extra months. But, but we put the Christmas lights up. We put the inflatables out in the yard. Uh, when you get the Christmas tree, what do you do? The first thing you do, theoretically, is put the lights on the tree. Now you can buy them all pre-lit, you know, but if you get a, a natural tree, you're going to put those lights on first and, and then everything goes around it, right? So, so what is it all about? What is the meaning behind the lights? And so what I just want to say is as we explore this today, one word that I've been kind of throwing around a little bit throughout this series is this idea of a parabolic understanding. And that is to say that these stories have deep meaning and significance. There's elements within them that the writers are giving to us, not because the writers are concerned so much with history, but because the writers are concerned with theology. The writers of the Gospels are concerned with helping their audiences understand Jesus and understand Jesus within their matrix within their framework, uh, within the background, within what was happening in their world. Uh, it is true that our faith, that the Christian faith looks different in different time periods, the way we live it out. The way we live out our Christian faith looks very different in uh, this decade than it did, say, five decades ago. Priorities uh, get shifted because of what's happening in the world around us, right? And so as we think about the big question of December 25th, here's what I would say is that December 25th is parabolic time. It's parabolic time, it's not historical time. Everybody knows Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, now in the room or tuning in online, right? We know that, but there is a reason for it. It's not arbitrary. It, there's, there's a parabolic nature to it, and we should be okay with that, right? Our faith should not fall apart when somebody says, well, he was, Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th. Do you, I, that's pagan. It's pagan. <laughs> I love that word, pagan. It just sounds so awful. It's pagan, right? But that is the truth of it. Like there is a deep connection there between something outside of Christianity, but we shouldn't worry about that because the history and the traditions of the church chose this date, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but it was for a reason because there's a meaning to it, right? And, and we're going to look at it and we'll find the meaning in the lights, right? So now in the ancient world, darkness and light have significance. Uh, significant meaning. Uh, when you read stories from antiquity, uh, when you look at some of the major stories, even within the scriptures that we have, right, darkness and light always have metaphorical meaning. So darkness is always associated with the idea of chaos, fear, 
Within, the, within Judaism, darkness is oftentimes associated with the exile, the loss of Jerusalem, the loss of the homeland, the Babylonian exile. Uh, it, it, there's a sense of lostness. There's a sense of evil lurking, right? And that's not all that different now, right? When we think about darkness, when you hear someone say, oh, darkness settled in, right? You know that it's not just like, oh, well, it's about 3.30 in the after afternoon, depending upon where you live, or it's about 5 o'clock in the winter, right? There's something about the heaviness of darkness. And on the opposite side of that, light had a strong symbolism and metaphorical value as well, and it always has been. Light symbolizes things like order and peace, safety. Light symbolizes like enlightenment. You ever said like, oh, the light went off, right? Light went on, actually, I should say. The light went on, right? All of a sudden, you realized it. You had an epiphany, right? Some visionary moment. Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of it all, right? This beautiful story that we get from our uh, ancestors in the Jewish tradition says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the first thing that God created, he said, let there be light. Y'all are with me this morning. That's good. You got to be. He said, let there be light. And, and light was created according to the story, but there was no sun, by the way, okay? So we can recognize that there's something that's happening in this, even our ancient creation story about the importance of light and, and, and order that it brings, okay? So these two things, darkness and light, are central symbols in Judaism and Christianity in the development of Christianity. But what's interesting is it's also central to imperial theology, so to the Roman world, to the Greco-Roman world, light and darkness had deep significance as well. And these traditions around light are very clearly seen in the stories around the birth of Caesar Augustus. Now, if you're familiar with the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke says that it was in the time of Caesar Augustus that a census was taken of the whole world, right? And everybody had to go back. It was an impossible task, right? But this idea that this, is, this was the context that was happening. Now, what you have to know about the birth of Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus was born with the name Octavian. Everybody say Octavian. Octavian. This is, I, that's just my way of not losing you in a little bit of history, all right? Just making sure you're paying attention. We'll get through this quick. But what you have to know, if we're going to understand the meaning, if we, we want to understand what Luke is trying to tell us, right, what Matthew's trying, especially what John is trying to tell us about light, we have to understand the background, what's going on in the world that these are being written. So Octavius, uh, so Caesar Augustus was born Octavius. And the story around his birth was that he was conceived by the god Apollo with this, with this human mother, Atia, right? So that was the tradition. Caesar Augustus, who's come to be savior of the world, was born through the intervention of Apollo. Now, Apollo was the god of, you guessed it, light, right? In the Greco-Roman world, Apollo was the god of light as well as order and reason, now, as the story would go, on the night of his conception, right, Octavius had a dream in which he saw the sun rising from Atia, his wife's womb. So there's all this light imagery. So Caesar Augustus, the story that was told about him, who was considered, who was called in the Roman world, savior of the world, right, that he was the son of the god Apollo, and he was the coming of light into the world. And he was going to bring peace on earth. And he had brought peace on earth, Roman peace, right? So the theme of light, in this, of light coming into darkness was central around the emperor and what's called imperial theology in the emperor cult, the worship of the emperor. Now, the theme of light in the darkness is central to the Christmas story. Why is that? Because our ancestors 
are saying something very important to their community. They're saying all these stories you've heard about the Emperor Augustus, right, who is long dead, by the way, by the time Luke is writing and John is writing and Matthew's writing, but he is thought to have ascended to the heavens in a comet. There's a comet that was celebrated, right? They're saying, hold on a second. Around the same time as this one who was considered to be the son of the God of light, the true light of the world enters into the darkness. And so they're giving this, this wonderful metaphor, and they're saying, no, it's not Caesar, it's, it's Jesus. And so the Christmas stories are filled with light, right? We've looked over the last few weeks at the star that guided the, the Magi and Matthew, right? This star that moved in the sky, and it stopped over the place where Mary and Joseph lived, according to Matthew, where they lived in Bethlehem, and then they went over to Egypt, and then they moved back to Nazareth. So we have this beautiful picture of a star, right? Uh, in Luke, we have the shine of the angels, right? We talked about that last night or two nights ago. I'm not sure what night. I feel like we could all just have been sleeping here in this building over the last week, but it was two nights ago, Christmas Eve. We talked about the shepherds coming, right? And the angels announcing this one that would be born in the manger. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were struck with great fear, right? The glory of the Lord appeared. It shone around them. There's light there. And one of the things that we really haven't looked a whole lot at uh, this year at Christmas time are these songs that are found in Luke. So in Luke, we have these, this series of songs that are given, they're poems that are given around the birth of Jesus. Particularly in Luke chapter 1, we have the song of Zechariah. And then in Luke chapter 2, we have this, this poem, this song of Simeon, who's, who's there at the dedication of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, the song of Zechariah, it finishes, it says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the daybreak from on high will visit us to shine on those who sit in the darkness and death's shadow to guide our feet into the path of peace, right? So there's the culmination of this song of Zechariah that is about this Jesus that's going to be born, who is light in our darkness. And it's not just light for any sake, it's light to illuminate how we actually come to peace. And it's not through the way of Augustus, it's not through the way of Caesars, it's not through the way of the emperor at the time of Luke, it's, it's, it's through this Jesus who lights the path of peace. And Simeon, who, who holds the baby Jesus, he says this, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, speaking to God, which you prepared in the sight of all peoples, this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, right? Now the Romans and Greco-Roman world, that would be considered the Gentiles, this is the real light that you've given, not just for the Jewish people, but for everyone. It's for everyone, a light for a revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. And John, the gospel of John, man, like the writer of John, he puts it in such beautiful language, this kind of the, the meaning of Jesus' entrance into this world. And he does this in what's called the prologue, the opening of his book. And in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, we see that Jesus is the light of the logos, right? This really technical, philosophical, religious word, logos, at the time of John. Now, before we read John 1, 1 through 5, again, I've got to bore you with some background. <laughs> because we read these passages, but we don't, if we don't pause to understand them, we miss it. And, and, and we miss the depth of it. And so, just, just this word that's in John chapter 1 
It's a Greek word called, it's logos, and it's translated oftentimes as word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The, the, the Greek word itself is actually like, it means reason, it can mean word, it can mean account, but it's more than, it's more than a simple word. It's actually a philosophical idea. It's a religious idea that had been developing. It was a principle within classical Greek thought, this idea of the logos. This idea of the logos was that there was this, this divine wisdom, there was this divine reason, this, this reality that was imminent in nature. It was very near, yet it transcended all things. It was beyond all the oppositions and all the antagonisms and all the imperfections in the world, yet it was found in the middle of it all working. And this eternal and unchanging truth, this idea, was present from the time of creation. This was in Greco-Roman thought, this idea of the logos. And it was available to everyone who would want to seek it. And it first began this idea, this principle, this philosophical, religious way of thinking. It was about 500 years before Jesus with a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus or Heraclitus or Heraclitus, whichever you want to say, however you want to pronounce the ancient Greek philosopher's name. He lived in Ephesus. But he's the first person to actually ever kind of make sense of the world with this word logos. So it's a Greco-Roman philosophical religious understanding of how the world works. And he used the word to explain what he saw as this universal force that just kind of governed everything. And he said that everything happened according to the logos. And so his way, his philosophy, 500 years before Jesus, would develop over 500 years within the Greco-Roman world, the idea of the logos, and it would start to permeate the culture. And it would become really the foundation of a religion known as Stoicism, which actually some historians believe was that the Stoic religion had deep influences into the life of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, some do, some don't. But this logos would become marked by two ways of thinking. There was the human reasoning, this logos of wisdom of human, the rationality of the human mind and how we're trying to gain understanding of the world and put things into harmony. But then there was the second one, which was this idea that there was a universal intelligence, that there was this working, this force governing and revealing throughout the cosmos, right? What we would call God or the divine. And so as this develops over time, this tradition takes hold, it becomes part of the culture, and, and you, you could recognize the Stoics, they looked quite different, but it was definitely a part of a rich tradition that really started to shape morality, it shaped law in the Greco-Roman world, right? Because the Stoics actually believed if you were going to achieve freedom or happiness or meaning, you would tune your life to the logos, you would tune your life to this divine will that sustained everything, Right? That's what you would do. Now, Greek-speaking Jews, right? As the, as the Greeks and the Romans would come and conquer Jerusalem and Palestine, and they would subjugate the people, there would definitely be influences there. And so Greek-speaking Jews came to view this philosophical understanding of the Logos as like sent by God, as a part of God. Now, with that in mind, right? Listen to what John says, right? John, as he's writing, as he's describing, not only just for Jewish communities, but for Gentiles as well, the significance of Jesus, right? John chapter one, verse one, this is what he says. In the beginning was the logos. I kept logos in there because you just, I think you have to keep that word or else you miss it. He says, yep, in the beginning was this logos. Think Greek, Roman, philosophical tradition. This divine will that holds everything together, that is the creative force behind it all. Yes, and this logos was with God, and the logos was God. 
So like all of John's Greek, you know, and, and Roman hearers, they're like, yes, we're, we're with you 100%, right? He would say the Logos was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through the Logos. And without the Logos, nothing could be. They're like all great Greco-Roman philosophers like, we're with you 100%. And then he says this, what came to be through the Logos was life. So now you're kind of with him. You're like, okay, life as a general reality. Yes, the Logos produced life, everything we see. <laughs> but then he says this, and this life, he goes from the general to the particular. This life was the light of the human race. Like if there were a theme track, like all the music would swell right there. There'd be like a hero walk, you know. Everything would be in slow motion. A dove would fly by, you know, how they do that in the movies. Like where did that dove come from, right? That's what would be happening here. Because what John is doing is saying, now I'm going to share with you something that's an even greater revelation that will help you understand it, is that all this life, right, right? But this life is the light of the human race. And now when he talks about light, he's talking about a light of the human race, a singular one. And he says, this light shines in the darkness. This one shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And, and, and basically, in John's prayer, like, he's like, what I'm getting ready to tell you is about the light of the world. And this light of the world that was born is not the light that you think about. It's not this, like, ethereal, like, I can't know it. This light, you can know this light of the world. And this light of the world came and healed the sick. And this light of the world came and proclaimed freedom and life and joy and forgiveness and grace. And so for John, Jesus' life is that light. It's come through the Logos. It's the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus is that driving force of God in the flesh that we can see. That's what John is proclaiming. And so what we see in John's prologue is that the Christian church, right, the earliest Christians, the earliest followers of Jesus, probably Judaic Christians, they extended this kind of stoic idea of a universal community that was seeking after the wisdom of God because they then claimed that this universal nature of salvation was forever everybody, that it was a light. Like you can't, in here, it'd be very difficult to just shine a light on one person, right? Like when we turn the lights on, you're in it. You can say, oh, I'm not in the light, but you're in it, <laughs> right? You're experiencing it. So here's the thing. Why December 25th? Why on the darkest of nights in the year do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Because of the lights. Because Christmas is about a statement that the divine light was born in the darkest of nights. And it's born in the darkest of nights every year. And the divine light brings hope of a dawn to all of creation. That'll give you goosebumps. Like, that's the point of it all. Was Jesus actual primordial, primordial light? I have no idea. But every December 25th, I celebrate that the light persists, that the light is born and the light shines in the darkness. And it was in the darkest point where human history was making a choice. Will it be violence and will it be power that brings about peace? Is that the light that's come? Or is it one born in a manger? Is it one who comes and brings peace through forgiveness? Who brings peace through nonviolent resistance? Who brings peace through healing and justice? And so the date of December 25th wasn't decided upon until the middle of the 300s. 
up until then, like Christians celebrated it at different times. Sometimes it was celebrated in March, others in April or May and November, I mean, all over the place. And then in the, about the year 350, the Pope at the time, Pope Julius in Rome, said, hey, guess what? December 25th is the, is the date that we celebrate, right? It's the observed holiday. You know, Friday was the observed holiday this year, right? Like a lot of places were closed on Friday for Christmas because Christmas fell on a Saturday. So the observed holiday, the Pope says, is going to be December 25th. And the reason why he chose December 25th, because there was a Roman holiday. There was a Roman festival that took place then. And it was a winter solstice. So in the darkest of night, they celebrated the birthday of the unconquered son, S-U-N. So the Romans would gather. And remember, the Pope is the Bishop of Rome there in Italy. And the Pope says, okay, listen, there's this winter solstice. It's the darkest. The sun isn't overcome. The, everything's going to start to turn around this time of year. The days are going to start to get longer. The sun is going to start to be around more. And so that's when we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus because Jesus is the real light in the world. And I happen to think that's really, really cool. Like, I don't get bothered by that. Somebody tell me, oh, it's a pagan holiday. You bring a tree in your mouth. Like, what? That's just the redemption of God looking at our human hearts. Like, that's, there's something universal about recognizing the power of light in darkness and the winter solstice and its turning. And I thank God for Pope Julius, who was like, this is the day, people. I mean, he was probably more papal about it, you know. I don't know what he did in the 350s. He was probably wearing something far more, you know, impressive than what I'm wearing, you know. Probably spoke in Latin, you know, did the whole deal. It sounded way better than when I say it. But, but how cool is that? That we live in this world and we live in a natural world and even nature, we can align our values and our understanding of the God of the cosmos with what's happening in nature. And so the Roman birthday of the sun would become the Christian birthday of the sun. And I think that's powerful. And so now what we start to see in our lives is the sun is out a little bit longer right after Christmas. There's joy in that. This image of light, even Matthew kind of quotes it. In Isaiah chapter 9, Matthew takes Isaiah chapter 9 and he pulls it into the Christmas story and he says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, right, this region the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And on those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. You know, Christmas is an interesting time. I know for many of us, it's been a difficult Christmas. We have loved ones who aren't with us. They've maybe passed away. Maybe they don't live uh, in the same community as we do. Maybe you're estranged. Maybe whatever it might be. But, but Christmas can bring a darkness with it. But it also brings a hope of light. And so in your everyday normal life, as we kind of enter into the 12 days of Christmas, I would just encourage you to commit. Commit your life to following this Jesus into the darkness. Follow him into the darkness and let your light shine. Like, make that commitment in faith. I, I just, I happen to believe that with Jesus always comes a choice. Now, the reality of Jesus in our world and in our lives, the, the reality of the living Christ that is at work is is completely separate from our choice. I believe God is working everywhere, but if we want to live in that flow, if we want to partner with God, there's something powerful that happens when we make a decision in faith to follow Jesus. But where do we follow Jesus? And I would suggest you always follow Jesus into the darkness. If you want to know, if you want to encounter Jesus, you go to the most darkest places and you'll experience the power of God. You know, a lot of times I hear people say, we don't ever experience, I've never experienced miracles. 
I've never seen God. I always wonder, like, do we put ourselves in situations where we actually need miracles? Do we put ourselves in situations where we actually need God to provide? Right? I mean, we live in a world, in our kind of Western American world, where the truth is, like, we, we, don't, we don't put ourselves in a space that is on this like ragged edge of faith of going to the darkest corners and bringing hope and light and life. And so I would just encourage you to do that. And so what does that mean to follow Jesus in the darkness? What does it mean to let your light shine? Well, to follow Jesus, the way of Jesus is love, compassion, charity, inclusion, forgiveness. Like to follow Jesus is to take those values and start to live them out in and, and you do that in, in the darkest of places. What does the darkness stand for? Well, where there's pain, where there's hurt, where there's exclusion, where there's hopelessness, where there's death, where there's discouragement. Followers of Jesus don't run away from those spaces. We run towards those spaces. We live and we know I don't have to have the right words. I don't have to have the right theology. I just simply need to have love. I need to be in that present space and I do what I can do. So to shine our light is to simply be present in the darkness. And then to do something, <laughs> do something, give something, say something, heal something. Like many of us rang a bell. Like that's light in the darkness, right? I, I was ringing the bell. I have a story, Dennis, about ringing the bell. And uh, how many of you, when you were ringing the bell, you're like trying to figure out different rhythms with the bell? Like, <laughs> I found myself doing anything I could to pass the time. I was like, man. We need like half an hour-long shifts. What is this, two hours? Our church needs to grow so we can do hour-long shifts. That's the only reason I want to grow our church now, so next year we can do hour-long shifts. I'm so lazy. I'm like, yeah, climb a 14 or no problem. Stand for two hours ringing a bell. I'm not doing that. That is hard. Okay, so I recognize the, like, the problem with my logic, right? So I'm standing there, I'm ringing the bell, and this, this family comes up, and uh, and and this little, 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 little tyke wants to put some change in. And so she gives a change, she puts a change in. And then the mom asks this question, well, what are you giving to? <laughs> like, you should know what you're giving to. Like, us kid's like six years old. I'm like, that's a good point, right? <laughs> like, and so he's asking me, and I'm like, he's like, oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. So I said, oh, well, it helps people when they're hungry. It helps people when maybe they are, like, have a struggle. Maybe they lost their job, and they need a little help with their house payments. So they don't lose their house. And we're just talking, and, and she says, do you think those are good things? And he says, yeah. So there's this real moment of, like, just do something. Like, do something. Do something. So we ring a bell, Right? You can make a pledge of your time, talent, and treasure to the adventure is worth it. Do you like how I worked that one in? <laughs> As we head into that season, volunteer somewhere. Be a part of something. In the, I happen to think that Crossroads has great things to volunteer at and give of your talent to. I believe in what we do here. I believe it's needed now more than ever. I think that's the way churches should always function. We should always find where's that space that's so desperately the hope of Jesus is needed and then shift and turn the boat and head in that direction. And there's always gonna be people that don't like that because, oh, we're just, we're just cruising in the right direction on the cruise line. But man, we gotta, we gotta go in that right space, that dark space. So we do something. And it can be as simple as just invite a neighbor over. I have this phrase I love, like turn your coffee table into a communion table. We've lost the art, and I, I know the pandemic has played a role in this, but long before the pandemic, we lost the art of just inviting people into our homes. We lost the art of looking around at places like church and recognizing there's somebody we don't know and saying, do you want to come over for lunch? You know, I, I had 
as I, I, one of the things I like to do is I give out my cell phone number during the service, and I just love to meet with people. And uh, I, I was, a family wanted to meet, and I said, yeah, absolutely, we wonderful. And I just kind of noticed that she was in a wheelchair, and I thought, this is kind of crazy, this poor woman's going to have to go meet me in a coffee shop. I said, I'll come to your home if you want me to. And she said, right there, I said, she was like, you would do that? <laughs> Like, we've just lost that kind of art of, like, humanity, of just being together with one another and getting to know each other. So just sometimes maybe that's the step that's just the craziest thing for somebody, to just be invited into our lives. And I do think that does take our coffee tables and turn them into these sacred altars, these communion tables where we get to know one another and we open our lives. And some of you are really good at that and your inspirations to me in that area as I look around and see people who've done that in tremendous ways. Maybe it's just writing an encouraging note to a discouraged friend. Like, you just kind of know. I just feel like they're discouraged. So you just write them a note, and you just put in there the one thing that you really appreciate about them. Even if you don't even like that person, I bet you could find one thing to say, you know what I really appreciate about you is when you leave the room. It makes me so happy. <laughs> don't send that. I'm just kidding. Just seeing if you're paying attention still. Been droning on here for a while. If we'll be the light, if we'll go into the darkness will make the world a better place because here's what I know. Light transforms fear of the dark into something beautiful. You know, I grew up around church. My dad uh, was a pastor at, a, at different churches. And I'm going to tell you, church buildings are generally the creepiest places when it's dark, especially when you grow up in kind of a Pentecostal tradition that talks about demons a lot. <laughs> So like I can remember being on like opposite sides of the church building and having to get like to the other side and it just it's dark it's at, we were there at night and just like racing through the building just scared to death you know it's just it's a freaky thing but it's amazing what a little light will do right a dark dark space can be very frightening but what happens when you light a candle all of a sudden it becomes really warm one of the things I, I love about our you know, auditorium here is these little patio lights that we have. This room is completely dark. It's like, who am I going to trip over? What's going on? But when those patio lights just come up, it's like the stars have just been turned on inside. There's something really powerful about that. And we just find beauty in it. We find beauty in just the softest light. It's amazing what some patio lights can do in our homes outside, right? So as we kind of wrap up, we have this beautiful song that talks about freedom and it just talks about letting the light shine and we'll all be free, right? But we have to all choose to let the light shine. We all have to choose to go into those spaces. So as we wrap up and we listen to this song and you finish filling out your Connect card, your offering envelope, your digital one, what is it that God's inviting you into? I hope if you haven't hung up Christmas lights, we're still in Christmas, by the way. It's not over. We're in the 12 days. Like, hang up some Christmas lights. Don't take down your Christmas lights until the 12 days of Christmas are over. Like, just live in that. And I hope that you sense God inviting you to just be a light. Be a light of God's love. Be a light of God's beauty. And just shine as part of what we call the scattered church. Like, when you leave this place, wherever you're going to be tomorrow at 10 a.m. in your everyday normal life, be a light there of love and hope and joy. Be an encouragement. Make it your goal to just, you know, I'm going to say one positive, encouraging thing to every person I encounter. I'm going to learn to ask really great questions about people's lives. I'm going to, I'm going to turn my coffee table into a communion table. Lord, who should I invite over to my house? I'm going to start every day asking that prayer, just saying that prayer. Who should be invited over for dinner? And I promise you if, you, if you pray that prayer every day for the next seven days, you'll know. 
the Spirit of God will quicken your heart and, and you'll know this is the person. I would pray the prayer with your spouse, by the way. If you're married, I wouldn't go off on your own on that one. Uh, it's been my experience. That's not a good idea. Uh, so there's a little, little free tip for you. <laughs> Didn't have to pay for that one today. And I also hope that you'll be a light of God's love and beauty and shine as part of the gathered church. I believe more than ever, our community needs Crossroads Church as an organization. I really do believe that. I believe that we need who you are and what we stand for as faith. And I know that there are people outside of our local community that need this. And we need more of this around the country. I, 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 would, I wish I had time to share with you stories of calls I've had over the last two months of things that God's doing in the area of the country that I came from and being asked, like knowing what we're doing at Crossroads and, and there's this move, like how can we get that here? Because there's a desperate need for places that welcome and love and include and say no matter what has gone on in your life, no matter what has happened to you, no matter who you are, no matter how you understand yourself, you are loved by God, you are included fully. And, and there's, there's a desperate need for us. And that's why I really believe in volunteering here and why I believe in giving your time, our time, talents, and church, why I give my time, talents, and church to this place because I believe in it. And so I hope you sense God whispering, this is a great adventure to go on. This is a great adventure to be a part of and to see what God wants to do through us. So I would just ask you to fill out that Connect card, get your offering ready, enjoy this song, take a few deep breaths, and I'll have a Christmas blessing for us in just a moment.
good word, we'll all be free. Do me a favor, stand up this morning and uh, just to receive our blessing today. Take a nice deep breath. Exhale. Open up your heart, open up your arms just as a symbol of just willingness to receive the truth of Christ into our hearts, into our lives this moment for this week. So may God bless you and keep you in the light of love this week. As you drive around, may your eyes see the lights of Christmas with new appreciation. May you see the power in those lights to turn darkness into something beautiful. And as you see the lights and consider their power, May you find the strength and the courage to be the light of love in someone's darkness this week. And for those of us who feel as though we are sitting in a deep darkness right now, may you see a great light these 12 days of Christmas. And for those of us right now feeling like we're dwelling in a land that's overshadowed by death, may a light rise on us like the dawn breaking through. And may we all have the faith to believe that the light of life has come and that this light lives in us and shines through us every day of our lives. Amen. Merry Christmas. Have a great week, everybody.